This is part two in our message, Living Free from Worry. Our text this morning, again, is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I mentioned last week, but it bears repeating, that every single one of us, without exception, struggles with worry and anxiety, to some degrees, and at times probably to a greater degree than others, but we all struggle with sinful, inordinate self-concern, we might call that worry. Worry. Ever for the problem-solving types among us this morning, I mentioned this last week as well, let me give you an equation for worry. Worry is simply this. Eyes on me, plus a distrust in the goodness of God, equals worry and anxiety. Eyes on me, plus a distrust in the goodness, or a distrust in the character of God, equals worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety are both ultimately rooted in distrust. We distrust two fundamental truths. One, that God is sovereignly in control of every facet of our lives. And secondly, we distrust that God really cares. That he really has taken an interest in our little finite lives and the things that cause us inordinate concern. That he's in control and that he cares. We distrust those two things. Let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning. Let me encourage you to stand if you have the ability. This is Paul writing in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness Be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Point number one on your outline this morning, if you're taking notes, would encourage you to do so. Again, you always listen better if you have the ballpoint of a pen to paper. Worry and anxiety are the result of misplaced joy, significance, and security. Write that down. Worry and anxiety are the result of misplaced joy, significance, and anxiety. Let me draw your attention to verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord Always, again, I will say, rejoice. You see, worry and anxiety are merely the symptom of a much greater and a much deeper problem. Worry and anxiety are merely a symptom of something that resides beneath the surface. I've said before, if you can... Let your mind transition back for a second to our study in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, specifically chapter 4, where Paul talked about anger, where Paul said, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the devil have a foothold by, by letting anger smolder and fume and burn. And I mentioned in that series of messages that anger, okay, 
When we become angry, what is being demonstrated there is failed idolatry. Anger is the result of failed idolatry. Okay? Think about the idols sitting on the pedestal, whatever it may be for you. And when you fear that that idol may come crashing to the floor, one of the ways that we respond in that moment is with an outburst of anger. And so, for that reason, anger is a symptom, just like worry is a symptom of something much deeper, something that resides beneath the surface. And so, if in that series of messages I said anger is the result of misplaced idolatry, a failed idolatry, then worry and anxiety are just the other side of that same pendulum. So we can say that worry and anxiety are the result of failed idolatry. They're just the other side of the coin. You see, both both anger and worry are rooted in a deep-seated desire for control. And it's just one of the two ways that we respond when our idol of control comes under attack. Either when circumstances come careening into our idol of control, or when another individual or individuals come careening or colliding in contact with my idol of control, I'll respond in one of two ways. I'll either blow up in explosive anger, or I will implode in worry, anxiety, and fear. And so, just as anger is the result of failed idolatry, so worry and anxiety are also the result of failed idolatry. Let me illustrate with three common idols or heart treasures. Remember our our text in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're just an extension of this week in Philippians, but but the context, the surrounding context of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 Verses 25 through 34, that's, that's the pericope, that's the section of text that we were in last week where Jesus told us not to worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. And he gave us some illustrations. He gave us the illustration of the sparrow first and the lily second. And I said last week, every time you hear the call of the sparrow, remember that you're listening to the voice of a preacher who is reminding you, God cares for me and he'll care for you. As well, And every time that you see the petal of the lily of the field, which is literally just the wildflower of the field, in comparison, maybe just from the eye's vantage point, it does not carry the same magnificent as Solomon's robes do. But if you were to put the petal of that flower, the petal of that lily under a microscope, it would make Solomon's robes pale in comparison. The splendor of the petal of that lily. God says, I take care of both the sparrows and the lilies. And you, my friend, you are of much greater importance than they. Okay? And for the whole context that this, this is coming in here, and then if we can even back it up a little bit further, the context of worry and anxiety are coming to us in the fact that our hearts are all too often inordinately connected to the things of earth. Remember, treasures. Treasures is the overarching context that Jesus speaks about worry and anxiety in. When our hearts are connected to the things of earth, we will worry and become anxious that we will lose them. 
But when our hearts are connected to treasure in heaven, we have the settled confidence that those those treasures can never be lost. And so worry and anxiety then, they just serve as a big, red, flashing warning light that something is wrong. Something is awry. Something has gone amiss. Okay, friends, let me encourage you. Every time you're tempted to worry, every time you're tempted to become anxious, pause for a moment if you can. Ask God to give you the grace to just pause for a moment and remember that what you're experiencing is a symptom of a greater heart issue. And so, we don't begin asking the questions, how, how, can I, how can I get rid of this worry and how can I get rid of this fear and how can I get rid of this anxiousness? Better questions to ask are, what is my heart connected to in this moment that fear is bringing to surface? What is my heart connected to in this moment that my anxiousness is revealing? Let me go back to those illustrations I mentioned a moment ago. Finances. Think about finances for a moment here. If finances are your idol, if they are your treasure, if they've what you've attached your significance and your identity and your value to, then you will worry that those finances may fail you. What happens when they're not there? What happens when I lose the job? What happens if I can't get the job? What happens if the, if the floor falls out from under the stock market? What if my IRA disappears overnight? You see, if my, if my value and my significance and my worth and my joy are all tethered and attached to finances, which are an earthly treasure, they can be used for great heavenly uh, purposes, but if they're attached to finances as an earthly treasure, then I will fear and I'll become worried and anxious that I might lose them. Likewise, if relationships and reputation are your idol, if they are what you treasure, if they are what you have attached your significance and your value and your identity to, then you will worry that those relationships And that reputation may in some way be dashed. Lastly, if control is your idol, and I would say that control is an idol for every single one of us. If control is your idol, if it is your treasure, if it is what you have attached your significance and your identity and your value to, then you will worry when things seem out of your control. You worry. You'll be riddled with fear. You see, our worries and our anxieties are just indicators that we have misplaced treasures. It's just a warning sign. It's just an indicator of something that lies beneath the surface. Misplaced treasures. You see, we were designed to find our significance and our identity and our value in Christ. We were designed to anchor our hope in Christ. We were designed to worship and serve Christ alone. But sin has warped our value system such that We seek to find our significance and our identity and our value in people and in things. We place and anchor our hope in people and things and we worship people and things. And because we have misplaced our treasures, we worry that all we have invested in, all that we've given time and energy and effort to protecting, will somehow crumble and fall. Can you connect the dots mentally? Are you tracking with me? Uh Uh-huh or uh uh-uh? 
You can trace every moment of worry and every anxious thought back to an idol. Always. Every moment of worry and every anxious thought can be tracked back to an idol. And so the next time you're tempted to become anxious, ask yourself, what is the treasure that I am so desperately trying to protect? What is the treasure that I am so desperately trying to protect? Maybe for some of us, it's our health. That is, I mentioned last week that that, that preaching on and teaching on worry and anxiety are particularly challenging for me because it's an area that I feel like I'm, I'm confronted with and brought face-to-face and toe-to-toe with on a daily basis. Let me, let me give you just a little insight into to my life. One of the areas that I feel like I struggle most with worry and anxiety is when it comes to health issues. I mean, this, this is going to sound funny, and it'll, it'll get a chuckle from you, which is not my point here, but but when I feel a cramp or a pain, I mean, my mind literally immediately goes into the gear of I'm dying. Like, it's cancer, get the will in order, go pick out the casket. I've got six to, to 12 months to, you know, that's just where my mind goes. My mind immediately parks in a lie. My, my, my mind goes, goes down the, the, the road of all the what-ifs. What if this happens, and what if that happens, and what if this happens, and what about Jody and the kids and the house, and, the, and before I know it, I'm a hot mess. All because my stomach's growling. And it, it sounds funny, but, but it really is a challenge for, for me. And, and it reveals an idol in my life, a, a health idol, and a control idol that that things that go wrong with my body are, are not in my ability to control, by and large. And I struggle with that. As, as silly and as goofy as it may sound, and of course I have worries and anxieties that are attached to all kinds of other misplaced treasures, but that's one that I just, it just, Satan knows and it just, it just plagues me, I feel like, oftentimes. Paul Tripp, in an article written a couple of years ago entitled Thinking Biblically About Worry, and I'll have, I'll have Jesse send this out in an email. It's a phenomenal brief article. Thinking Biblically About Worry. He says there's an ongoing war in each of our hearts, and it's the war between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. Okay, track with me for a second here. War going on. It's the war between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. Tripp says that the kingdom of self is driven by the pursuit of earthbound treasures and our anxiety-bound needs. But the kingdom of God, on the other hand, is driven by the pursuit of eternal treasures. And so there is in each of our hearts a war to invest in what is temporary versus what is eternal. The reason that we worry is because we have assigned inordinate value to temporary things. Even my health, even your health, is a temporary thing, right? Life is but a what? Yeah, a vapor or a mist. It's here for a few short moments and then it quickly vanishes. Even life, my health, it's all temporary to begin with. Jesus cautions us to be careful about what we assign value to and about what we name as our treasure. Let me take you back now to Matthew chapter 6 because... Our treasures control our hearts, right? 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasures control our hearts, and what control our hearts will control our behavior or our anxiety or our fears, right? Our treasures control our hearts, and our hearts control our behaviors, our anxieties. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In light of that truth, you and I will rest the most You and I will experience the peace of God the most when your treasure is the most secure. And you'll be the most anxious when your treasure is subject, is most subject to loss. You see the connection there? You'll be at most peace in this life, even though it is a Genesis 3 fallen world. And there are many troubles, Jesus said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You will be at most peace in this Genesis 3 fallen world. You'll be at the most rest when your treasure is the most secure. But you'll be most worrisome and most anxious when your treasure is the most at risk. You tend to worry about things when you plug your life into a couple of different outlets. Let me give you those two outlets. Think about a a power cable and an outlet on the wall, right? Upper and lower, okay? You will tend to worry the most when you plug your life into one of two outlets. First outlet is this, things that you don't actually need. If you plug your life into the outlet of things that you don't actually need, your life will be riddled with anxiousness and worry. The lower outlet would be this, circumstances that you can't ever control. If you plug your life into one of those two outlets, things that you don't really need, that's all the treasures of this world, or B, to circumstances that you can't control in the first place, then you will be bound to worry. You'll tend to worry. Worry and anxiety are the result of trying to protect your heart, treasures, from failure. From failure. Worry and anxiety, they're, they're the result of misplaced joy and significance and security. And let me take you back to the text here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. In other words, get your eyes off your circumstances. Get your eyes off the things of this earth. Rejoice in things that are eternal. Rejoice in things, in treasures that are kept in heaven, that are unfading and undefiled, kept there, reserved there for you, and are not subject to the moth or the thief. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said this, if it rots, rusts, collects dust, or dies, don't put your hope in it. If it rots, rusts, collects dust, or dies, don't plug your life into that outlet. It'll leave you empty-hearted and empty-handed every single time. Number two on your outline is this. Either your view of God will eclipse your view of your circumstances, or your circumstances will eclipse your view of God. One of two things will take place in every moment of every day without fail. And that is that your view of God will make your circumstances pale in comparison or your circumstances 
will come and settle themselves right over your view and eclipse your view of God. Look at verse 5. Paul writes this. He says, Let your reasonableness be be made known to everyone, for the Lord is near. Your translation may say, The Lord is at hand. Think with me here for a second about the context surrounding this verse. Think about Paul's letter to the church of Philippi here and the context surrounding this verse. Where was Paul when he wrote the book of Philippians? I saw over there he was in prison. I heard it over there. Paul was in prison when he wrote this very letter. He wasn't reclining on a beach somewhere along the Aegean Sea. Paul wrote this letter from the confines of a Roman prison. Talk about bummer circumstances, by the way. You can imagine that there might have been cause for concern. I mean, are they going to kill me? Are they not going to kill me? Are they going to kill me? Are they not going to kill me? But do we find Paul riddled and paralyzed with worry and anxiety? No. Now, was Paul a man? And did Paul struggle in every way just as we do? Absolutely. But as you look at what Paul penned here in this letter, we don't find a man who was paralyzed by fear despite the circumstances which might have produced them. If his heart was tethered to certain earthbound treasures. But instead, we are reading the letter of a man who is rejoicing in the midst of less than desirable, even fearful, you could say, circumstances. Friends, hear me loud and clear here. Joy is not primarily a feeling. Just like love is not primarily a feeling. Joy is not primarily a feeling. Joy is the deep down confidence that God is in control of everything in your life and that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. And so despite the circumstances, according to God's agenda, all is well. All is well. Think about for a moment. Think about your current worries and anxieties. When you think about them from your finite perspective, they're worrisome. And when you think about them from your finite perspective, they seem infinitely big and infinitely long. When, O Lord, the thing that you find David praying over and over and over again in the Psalms is, how long, O Lord, how long? And do you know how God oftentimes answers that? God oftentimes answers that by revealing his nature, his character, and his attributes. When David in the Psalms asks, How long, O Lord, do I have to endure? How long, O Lord, must I continue on? God oftentimes responds by saying, I am the Lord. Fear not. I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I will uplift you with my righteous right hand. In other words, get your eyes off yourself and get them on me. You see, when our eyes are on ourselves, our worries and our anxieties seem incredibly big. And they seem seem incredibly long. But in those moments where we are tempted to worry and to be anxious, 
remember that despite whatever the circumstances are, according to God's agenda, if we will just get our eyes on God's agenda, all is well and all is going according to plan. When life seems most out of control, friends, it could never be more in control. But we forget that. And we will walk out those doors. No sooner will we buckle our seatbelts and drive out of the parking lot than we will forget that. It's interesting to note that Paul's exhortation here to let your reasonableness or let your gentleness be known to all can actually be translated, let your contentment be evident to all people in all circumstances. Worry and anxiousness reveal discontentment, right? Discontentment with God's sovereign plan and agenda for my life. When, when I'm tempted to become worrisome and anxious about my health, I'm disbelieving in that moment that God is good, that God really cares for me, that God is sovereignly in control of every facet of my life. And in doing so, I'm becoming discontent. And when I continue down the road of all the what ifs, well, what if and what if and what if, it just, it just fosters and feeds that discontentment. You see, when the deck seemed, and let me Let me emphasize seemed. When the deck seemed stacked against Paul here in Philippians chapter 4, instead of focusing on himself and his difficult circumstances, instead of trying to protect, protect his idols and wasting away in worry, we find him enjoying the peace of God, which is found when we trust that God is sovereign over all of our circumstances and that he'll take care of all the protecting that we could ever need. If your view of your circumstances is bigger, or if your view of your circumstances weighs more than your view of God, you'll worry. Think about a balance here for a second, okay? You put weight on either side of a balance. If your view of your circumstances weighs more than your view of God, you'll worry. Likewise, if your view of God weighs more than your view of your circumstances, There'll be great peace and great contentment, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances, even in the midst of all the what-ifs, there will be a peace that surpasses understanding. Which weighs more, my friends, your view of your circumstances or your view of God? Which weighs more? You see, worry and anxiety, at their core, they're practical atheism. Worry and anxiety are practical atheism. At its core, the worry-riddled life is lived as if the promises of God were non-existent. And I said last week, and I'll mention it again, that that is a wave in which Satan would love to ride in your life. Worry and anxiety That life is lived as if the promises of God were non-existent, as if they were untrue. Oswald Chambers once said this, all of our fret and worry are caused by calculating without God. Boy, that's a true statement. All of our worry and all of our anxiousness are caused or are produced by calculating just without God in the equation. 
That is, all of our worry and our, and our anxiety fail to take into consideration the character and the promises of God. And so, in light of that, let me give you, I would encourage you to write these down. They're probably familiar texts to you. But let me, let me give you six grace truths that we need to park our hearts and our minds in. So when you're tempted to, to worry, when you're tempted to become anxious, here are six parking spots that you can park your heart and your mind in. A. God is sovereignly in control of every circumstance of your life. This is Ephesians 1.11. Paul reminds us that our lives have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There is not one moment of your life that has lapsed, that has lapsed without it being according to God's will. Not one moment. Not one moment has lapsed that has been outside of the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That changes the perspective of the what-ifs. Because all, all that comes to pass in my life comes sifted or filtered through the hands of a God who knows all, who's all-powerful, who cares and is intimately concerned uh, about my life and who's doing everything primarily for his glory and secondarily for my what? For my good. God is sovereignly in control of every circumstance of your life. Park in that parking spot when you're tempted to become anxious. A second good parking spot is this. God is bigger than any trial that you're called to walk through and his grace is sufficient for you. This goes back to which ways more, your view of your circumstances or your view of God. God is bigger than any trial you're called to walk, walk through, and his grace is sufficient for you. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, right? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And it's interesting, how does Paul reply? Right after Jesus says that, he says, well, then I'll be content. Remember, worry and anxiousness are discontentment. Paul says, then I'll be content in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's bigger than any trial that you're called to walk through, and his grace is sufficient for you. Park there. See, God cares for and is intimately involved in your life. Park there, friends. Park there often. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Your translation in 1 Peter 5 may say, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. God cares for and is intimately involved in your life. Park there. Park there. D, all things work for the good of those who love God. Right? Romans eight twenty eight. God does everything he does primarily for his glory and secondarily for the good of those who love him. A.W. Tozer once said this, he said, When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. When I realize that everything that's happening to me, God is using to conform me more and more into the image of Christ, Realizing that, parking my mind there resolves a great deal of anxiety. E, 
Here's another spot for you to park in. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Even if your worst fears come true, even if all your what-ifs become has-beens, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What a promise. What a promise. And then lastly, God is faithful even when you are unfaithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Boy, there are six grace truths that you and I would do well to park our hearts and minds in often because all worry and all anxiousness is a lie. It's practical atheism. It's calculating. It's just not calculating with God in the equation. Park your mind, park your heart in these six as well as the plethora of other grace truths that we find throughout God's Word. Here's a helpful exercise to reorient your focus on God's promises. Maybe you'll write this down. When I'm anxious about, fill in the blank. When I'm anxious about whatever it may be, I'm disbelieving that God, fill in the blank. When I'm anxious or when I'm tempted to worry about, fill in the blank, I'm disbelieving that God, fill in the blank. You see, when we become worried, anxious, or fearful, we do so at least momentarily because we don't trust in God's wisdom, His power, and His goodness. We fear that God's not wise enough, we fear that God's not strong enough, and we fear that God is not good enough to prevent whatever it is that we fear. And friends, let me just go a step further. Even if God in His sovereign prerogative chooses not to prevent whatever it is that you most fear, He still sits on the throne. And every single one of those six grace truths are still true. He's not left you and he's not forsaken you. He's working all things out for his good or his glory and your good. He's sovereignly in control of every circumstance in your life. He's bigger than any trial that you're called called to walk through. He cares. He's intimately involved in your life. Even if all the what-ifs become has-beens, God still sits on the throne, friends. You see, the anxious mind parks in a lie. It believes that it's up to me to take care of this situation or it's up to me to take care of this circumstance. When we distrust the promises of God, it's no wonder that we worry. Thinking that you have to bear the weight of of the world all by yourself, that's a lonely place to be. Thinking that you've got to bear the weight of the world all by yourself, that is a lonely, lonely, lonely place place to be. David Pallison says this, when you're worrying, it's like being in a universe where no one's home, it's just you and your struggle. But then God plants a grace bomb, and here it is in Philippians chapter 4. It's the simple phrase, he is near. He's near. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Friends, there is no greater source of spiritual stability than the confidence that God is near. He's near. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But our view of God has to trump our view of our circumstances. Paul knew that. That's why he encourages us with with God's nearness here in Philippians 4. 
Instead of parking your mind in the lie that your circumstances are somehow bigger than God can handle, get a good look at God. Fix your eyes on Him. He's near. I'm reminded of the lyrics of a wonderful hymn. O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And you know this line. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in comparison in the light of his glory and grace. But you got to get your eyes off you. You got to get your eyes off your circumstances. You have to get your eyes off of the temporary things of this world and fix them on the one who is eternal. The one who holds all things in his hands. The one who sits on the throne. Number three on your outline is this. The way to fight worry and anxiety is on your knees. The way to fight worry and anxiety is on your knees. Look at verse 6. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus said that back in Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, just a six-cylinder Christian word for request, but in everything, by prayer and supplication or request, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't tell us to be anxious for nothing and then remind us that God is near. Look back at verse 6. There's an intentional order there. Paul says, let your reasonableness, your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Okay, Park your mind there. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First, Paul reminds us of who God is, and then he communicates the imperative, do not be anxious about anything. Again, our view of God has to weigh more. It has to outstrip our view of our circumstances. D.A. Carson notes, I've yet to meet a chronic worrier who enjoys an excellent prayer life. Just let that settle in for a moment. I've yet to meet a chronic warrior, a warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. You see, when worrisome and anxious thoughts creep in, we have two options. A, we can entertain worry with worry, which is what we do oftentimes, right? That's the spin cycle we mentioned last week. I mean, you feel like you're, you're in the washing machine just getting tossed back and forth and back and forth. It's because you're entertaining worry with worry. You're worrying about your worry. Or we can bring our sinful, disbelieving, earthly, treasure-loving hearts before the throne of grace. And we can present our requests before the one who sits on the throne, the one who cares and is intimately involved in my life, the one to whom works all things out for his glory and my good, the one who will never leave me nor forsake me. I can approach his throne and bring my requests to him. Or I can just entertain worry with worry. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. What if and what if and what if? The writer of Hebrews calls us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Hebrews 4.16. If you don't have that memorized, memorize that. We need to humbly come before God and pray, God, I'm being tempted to worry, and I need your grace to believe your promises. Satan would love to have me believe a lie, but I need grace to believe your promises. Help me fix my eyes on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent and praiseworthy. I mean, that's, that's Philippians 4.8. What a list there. Help me to fix my eyes. Help me to fix my heart on those things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy and true. Help me to see my circumstances in light of your sovereignty. Help me to trust that you're committed to me even though I'm struggling to see beyond the moment. I know that you're using my circumstances to complete the good work that you started in me. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you're near. You see, when we begin to pray that way, it will change your perspective about the things that you worry about. Write this down. This this is an extra. This is a bonus. This is free. Talk to God about number one in light of number two. I'll give you the number one and the number two. Talk to God about number one in light of number two. Another way to say that is to talk to God about your worries in light of his character. Frame your prayers when you pray, which is what Paul tells us to do here. Come before the Lord with prayer and supplication. Present your requests before the one who is sovereign. And when you do so, frame your prayers in light of who it is you're talking to. You see, friends, if you and I don't couch our prayers concerning the things that we worry about in light of God's character, did you know that your prayers can become just a recital of the very things that you worry about? Which will leave you in the spin cycle. If you do not include in your prayers the character of God, the bigness of God, that all you're doing is reciting the things that you're worried about. It's like saying, stop thinking about a pink elephant. And now I just lost every one of you for the next minute and 20 seconds because pink elephant's what's on your mind. If all we do is pray reciting the things that we worry about, but we never infuse in that prayer a high view of God, then all we're doing is just reciting the things that make us anxious which will just continue to make us anxious. You see, our prayers can actually be anxiety-producing agents if there's not enough of God in them. If we're not careful, worry itself can overshadow everything else you pray. And so proper prayer, I think what Paul is encouraging us to here, proper prayer infuses the presence of God back into the scenario. So state your worries in light of who God is. That is, talk to God about number one, your worry, in light of number two, who he is, his character. And then let me, let me bring you back to this. Have you ever noticed the importance of thanksgiving as it pertains to worry and anxiety? You ever notice that those things are connected? The connection between thanksgiving and the things that we are tempted to worry and become anxious about. Look back at verse 6. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me ask you a question, friends. When was the last time you thanked God for your trials? We oftentimes become worried. Trials and worry are are connected. We oftentimes worry and become anxious in moment of trial. 
We oftentimes become discontent in moments of trial. But when was the last time that we stopped and we thanked God for what he's doing in the trial, for what he's producing in us in the trial, for his character and his nature and his attributes that he is revealing to me or reminding me of in the midst of my trial? When was the last time that we stopped to thank God for our trials? Worries oftentimes attached to a particular trial in your life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which is another great passage to memorize, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says, Rejoice, similar language there. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me ask you another question. What if the answer to your trials is this? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so I'm not removing the trials. As a matter of fact, Paul prayed that the thorn in his side would be removed three times. Jesus prayed that the cup would pass from him three times. But the conclusion was the same in both, both men at the end. Not my will, but yours be done. You see, we can be content even in the midst of things that would, if we had our eyes fixed on ourselves and our circumstances, bring us great cause for worry, concern, and anxiety. What if Jesus says, no, I'm not removing the trial. I'm not removing that which is, which is revealing anxiousness in your heart. Instead, I'm going to encourage you with the truth that my grace is sufficient for you. How will you respond there? In other words, what if in God's wisdom, he's determined not to turn down the trial, but instead to turn up his grace? You see, sometimes, sometimes God calms the storms in our lives. But sometimes God lets the storm rage on and he calms his child. Sometimes God says, I'm not removing the storm. I'm going to let the storm rage on. And I'm going to teach you contentment. And I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding if you'll just fix your heart and your minds on me and not on the moments. Think about Job. Job uttered these words, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though he's, if all of your what-ifs become has-beens, friends, will you still hope in him? In the rain and in the pain, God is our tower and he's our power. Don't forget that. Here is number four, very briefly. The fruit, the fruit of self-surrendered God-confidence is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, three simple things there. One, the peace of God is available. The peace of God is available. Secondly, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And third, it's a peace that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus. As we confidently, by God's grace, apply the truths of scriptures to our minds, that truth will put what is momentary in our sights into an eternal perspective. And an eternal perspective will wash away a myriad of worry and anxiety. So much of our worry and anxiety is connected to 
a temporary perspective, an earthly perspective, a temporal perspective instead of an eternal perspective. Let me remind you with this in closing here, just as we prepare to come to the Lord's table in in communion this morning. What if all your greatest fears come true? What if all your greatest fears come true? What if all the what-ifs really do become has-beens for you? What then, friends? You see, the greatest deliverance that Jesus has ever accomplished for us, and I mentioned this last week, is that he saves us in Christ from our greatest danger. You see, for most of us, the fear that plagues us each day isn't the wrath of a thrice holy God, but that is our greatest danger. More than my health, more than will my children turn out right, more than will I pass the test, more than will the airplane crash, more than what if they put me to sleep and I don't wake up, more than, more than any of those fears, greater than any of those fears should be in our hearts and minds the wrath of a thrice holy God, being exposed to the wrath of God. That ought to be the thing that scares us the most because that is our greatest danger. But the truth of the gospel message is that if we know Christ savingly, Jesus, because he has stood in our place, bore the wrath reserved for me. In other words, he has taken what we should worry the most because it is our greatest danger off the table. It's no longer a concern because it's finished. Through Jesus' dying words in John chapter 19, it is finished. You see, trusting God doesn't mean that our worst fears won't happen, friends. Rather, it means that what we should fear most won't happen. What we should fear the most, Jesus said, is finished if we know him. And every other fear should pale in comparison. I mean, we have no fear that we can lose the love of God. We have no fear that we can be separated or detached from him in any way. I mean, Paul wrote, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or danger? I mean, aren't those things we oftentimes worry about? But not a one of them, Paul says, can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The thing that we should fear the most has been wiped off the table. 